Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for the gift of grace to us today. And we thank you for this place, this space of the in-between. The what is and what is yet to come. The what we look back to and celebrate and what we look toward and hope for. But we live in this place of in-between. Help us, God, today to lean into you in that place. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you feel it? Do you feel it? The gravitational pull of the season, it pulls us toward one day. December 25th. We all feel it. Everyone feels it. Walking to Hobby Lobby at the end of September and rows of Christmas specials begin their pull. I'm waiting for it to happen on July 15th. Because I walked in in September to Hobby Lobby and I saw all that Christmas stuff and I went, oh Jesus, you need to come back soon. This is getting crazy. Everyone feels it. It has become a day of material overload and holiday cheer. Happy Holidays is a nice greeting that masks so many things that are unhappy in life. Our Christmas cheer becomes a sedative to escape the darkness in the world and in our own lives. We become addicted to that. Even the act of doing a good deed because, well, we're going to do good because it's Christmas. I'm going to get something from the tree and give it to someone. I'm going to go do a good deed because it's Christmas. Even that pulls on us with a false comfort about what we do not do the rest of the year. But what, what pulls you toward December 25th, towards that day? good news is there is a spiritual gravitational pull, though, that we can surrender our souls to. And it is a truth that is summed up in three simple words that are a perspective changer. And it is the theme of this Advent season, of these sermons, of the devotionals, of everything. Born the King. And so as we move through Advent, we will consider how our lives are changed in the everyday when we are pulled forward by that truth. So we all know about that day, December 25th. And if you have children or grandchildren and you don't know about that day, they're going to remind you about that day. But there's another day that only God knows about. Only God. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 36, but about that day or hour no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only God knows when the one born the King will return in fullness and all things will be made right. But we read passages like that and they're, they're always awkward ways to begin the holiday season. They're not Christmassy. But if we do not let the words of our passage speak into our lives that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to miss the true reason for the season. It's more than a bumper sticker. It's more than standing up in protest. 
Our focus in this season of Advent is on waiting. It's on anticipation. It's on centering in on what pulls us forward. It is about waiting in hope. Dr. Dennis Bratcher captures it. Just lengthy quote, but it's worth every penny of it. It all begins in the hope that God will come and come again into our world to reveal himself as a God of newness, of possibility, a God of new things. During Advent, we groan and long for that newness with the hope, the expectation, indeed the faith that God will once again be faithful to see our circumstances, to hear our cries, to know our longings for a better world and a whole life. And we hope that as he, and we hope that as he first came as an infant, so he will come again as a king. Man, do we hope for that. And that is why we have to turn to passages like Matthew 24 as we begin Advent. This passage reminds us that wrapped in swaddling cloths is the one who should be clothed in royal garments. It's why the colors change at Advent. We're talking about royalty here. Come Christmas time, we turn to white. But right now, we're talking about the king. The baby holding the rattle is the king who will hold the scepter. And we read words like we will today because they are words for us. They are words for us right now. Words to help steer us to bow at the manger in joy on December 24th and 25th so that we will all bow in our hearts to the one true King, Jesus. Remember a few weeks ago, we said that the second coming of Jesus will be when grace will run wild. But we need to be ready. And Jesus knows we need to be ready. Jesus so goes on about that day. Matthew 24, now picking it up at verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Strange words to begin the Christmas season, right? What I love about this section of our text, though, is this. This is just talking about an ordinary day in the life. What we have here are people who are simply living for ordinary time. In fact, what we have here in this text is people who are addicted to ordinary time. But let's be clear, the activities mentioned in our passage are not bad. In and of themselves, that is. In fact, most of these are normal and good things. It talks about celebrations. It talks about marriage. It talks about jobs. It talks about chores. All the things that are like normal they're not bad in and of themselves. And in fact, in this season of the year, we often lean into them. We enjoy family. We find time to celebrate and laugh and are caught up in the holiday spirit. But as it was for people in Noah's day, so it is for us. It, it was not that these things were bad. It was that these things became the primary focus. 
And because that was true, they were distracted from what really matters. And so this is a description of people who are really not giving much thought to what is happening around them in the lives of others or in their world. And Jesus points at these people to make a point that these people are not giving any consideration to the God who is among them. So are not these words in his description of a second coming words to us in a distracted world? Am I distracted by the many things of this world from the God who is among us? Are you distracted? Am I distracted from the God who wants to live in me? Think about how this plays out in real time in this season of year. Families can distract us. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is time for family. I mean, isn't that what Hallmark movies are all about? Isn't that how they were born, right? I couldn't believe it. I was sitting with our granddaughter this weekend, and I said, do you want to watch a Hallmark movie? As the words came out of my mouth, I thought, what's happened to you? This is time for family. We say yes, and and family can be really good. But we can allow family to become the reason for the season and knock Jesus off the throne now and through life. And for some, family does not equal joy to the world. So family can distract us. Outward appearances distract us. And if we're not careful, we will spend our way into debt in hopes that we will find the approval of others. One of those, I get really like wired up on commercials. Kathleen knows that I'm like an anti-commercial guy, right? But the one that recurs every year that drives me nuts this time of year is the Lexus with the bow on top, and they all run out and go, hey, look at it, I got you a Lexus. You know, I'm going to get Kathleen one too. It's going to be a matchbox size and say, there you go, right? Because cause that, the whole selling point of that is all about appearance, Outward appearances distract us. Materialism of the season distracts us. We can allow material things to have a primary place, both in getting and giving. Both in getting and giving, we think we find fulfillment. And we don't. You say, oh, Pastor Jeff, I, I know. We, you, we, we, we all know those things, all those distractions. But let me, let me share with you now the distraction that I think is the, the root distraction, the core distraction. And that is the distraction of busyness. The busyness of the season distracts us. By far, this is the greatest distraction. I want you to meet Tattoo. Put Tattoo up there. That's Tattoo. Tattoo's a basset hound who lived in Tacoma, Washington. And Tattoo's owner was with Tattoo. They were out shopping, and Tattoo's owner closed the door on his leash with Tattoo still outside the car. And he decided to drive away. Well, there was a police officer named Terry Filbert who was watching this whole thing. And he began to see this dog and this car start running away. And so the police officer on his motorcycle began to catch up to Tattoo and the car to try to stop him. And eventually he did. But he, he did that. And, and this is what he said. He said, when I looked, that, that dog was putting his feet up and down as fast as he could. He said, I clocked him at 20 to 25 miles an hour. 
a basset hound. Has anyone here ever owned a basset hound? Right? We owned a basset hound. They do not move that fast on their best day. But here he was. He, he was being dragged along. He was unhurt, by the way, for all of you who are worried about the basset hound. But you know, I feel like sometimes my leash is shut in the door of the world's pace. And I'm putting them up and down as fast as I can. And like, like, like tattoo, I'm, I'm tumbling. I'm doing the best I can, but I'm putting them up and down. Busyness distracts us. Dallas Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung said this, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. You see, these distractions are heightened during this season, but let's be honest, let's, let's come in confession to God that these distractions are 24-7, 365. It just seems like they really get heightened this time of year. These strange Advent words of Jesus, though, that we find in Matthew 24, are a counterweight. Why did Jesus give these word pictures in Matthew 24 that we've read and we're going to read? He's giving a counterweight to these distractions. Because, you see, he wants people to find the focal point of hope. So what does it mean for me to adjust the focus of the lens through which I view my life and my world, and in that to try to find hope. Because the reality is, all the things that promote what hope is in our world are bankrupt of it. So what do I need to look at? What do I need to think about? What is the counterweight for me? Well, Jesus goes on, verse 42, Therefore keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. I often think when we read those last words, we automatically just think of someday out there, but I think sometimes Jesus shows up in our lives when we least expect him. Now, in ways we didn't anticipate, in the unexpected. So let's begin Advent by confessing what's distracting us. Can you confess today? Can I confess? What are you distracted by that's pulling you from the King? What am I distracted by? And can we confess and ask God and how we might be pulled toward the one who is king, the one who said, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. You must also be ready. Remember the, the, the image of Noah's days. The people were so caught up in the everyday realities, they refused to heed the warning signs around them. They refuse to see it. And right away, sometimes we default to, well, look at the warning signs. Jesus is coming. The world's going. That's not what this is about. It's about the warning signs around us that we are allowing to pull us away from Christ the King. 
The people were so caught up in their everyday realities. And yet, and yet, Noah's family steadily prepared for the flood, even though there was no outward evidence that was coming. And so it is with us as well, don't you think? Looking out at the world today, think about it. The stock market has hit record levels. Anyone who has a 401k or a 403b is happy. It's hit record levels. Compared to the rest of the world, we are wealthy. Not worrying about clothes or clean water or food or shelter. I know that there's variations of that. There's levels of that in our own country. But compared to the rest of the world, everyone in this congregation this morning, we are wealthy. Just the fact that you turned on your tap and you got clean water today is amazing. And the patriots are 10 and 1. Things are looking good. So, so, come on, Pastor Jeff. Why not go with the flow? Well, you know, Noah's family didn't. They had a different focal point. And so, Jeff, do you? That's the question I ask myself. Do I? Do you? Do we? You see, readiness is an important part of life overall, but especially when we are talking about hope. The world we live in has a habit of bludgeoning hope. Nothing does a job on hope more than allowing the headlines of the world to become the fixation of our minds and our hearts. Nothing does a job on hope more than the darkness that seems to embed our lives. And it was true in Jesus' day as well. He's speaking these words to a people who have been dominated and crushed by the empire. But what happens when we live with the anticipation of what God will do because of what we know he's done, trusting him for what he's doing now? We, we know what he's done. Emmanuel, Merry Christmas. We, we're going to get there. We'll get there. 24 more days, we'll get there. We know what he's done. We're anticipating what he's doing. He's going to come and make all things right. But can we now trust him for what he is doing now? So much so that we push away from the distractions. We abandon our lives to him. We let the light of Christ live in our lives as we live in the midst of a dark world. Are you ready? As Pastor Serena mentioned, there's Advent resources. We have some, a few devotionals left. In the devotionals, Christine Yong Hung said this for today. We have 24 days in December to prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus and an undisclosed amount of days to prepare our hearts for his second coming. May the sacred moments of Advent, hear that, may the sacred moments of Advent make way to the building of sacred spaces 
in our hearts throughout the year. When we are keeping watch for our Lord's return, the day when all of creation will be reconciled to him who was born the king. In his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear argues for people to improve themselves 1% better every day. And in talking about the impact of that, as an illustration, he talks about a pilot who leaves Los Angeles International Airport bound for New York. But as he takes off, if he just adjusts his heading, and you pilots will know this, just 3.5 degrees, 3.5 degrees south, he won't end up in New York. He'll end up in Washington, D.C. And then he said this, such a small change is barely noticeable at takeoff. The nose of the airplane moves just a few feet, but when magnified across the entire United States, you end up hundreds of miles apart. Small changes and choices, good or bad, look minute in a moment, in a day, but over the course of a lifetime. It can change your life. It can change my life. What small changes can you and your family make this Advent, this next 24 days, that can make way for the sacred places and spaces in your life, for the rest of your life? Not just to get us ready for Christmas. That's going to breeze by. Are you kidding me? We're, I'm almost feeling like Christmas is over. Boom. But are you ready? Not for festivities and wrapping paper or ribbons, but to welcome the King within us where Christmas actually lives each day until the day we are hoping for. That day, a few weeks ago, we read words that gave our souls goosebumps, remember? From Revelation 21, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then from the words from the prophet Isaiah we heard earlier today, he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. How awesome will it be when the day comes when we no longer have to think that we have to train our soldiers for war? How great will that be? Talk to anyone who has served in the theater of war or has been in the military and has had even a whiff of it, and they'll tell you they're not for it. But how beautiful will it be when it won't be necessary? So are you ready for this? This pull toward the birth of our king, his rule today, and the king's coming in the future? You see, that is the hope that informs our choices, fuels our good deeds, energizes our joy. It causes us to be justice seekers, mercy givers, and peacemakers. So, get ready. Romans 13, 
we find these words, and we only have two verses up there, but I decided to read the whole paragraph this morning. Get ready. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothe yourself with the example and the truth and the life and the love of Jesus. That is how we find the focal point of hope because this is Christmas and beyond. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will return. I want to invite our worship team if they would come forward. Invite our pastors to come as they prepare for communion. Nothing calls us to waiting and preparing. The act of getting ready more than the Lord's table. So here we adjust our focal point. Because you see, at the Lord's table we remove our focal point off of ourselves and we fix it on Jesus. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims His life his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection, it proclaims the hope of his coming again. It shows forth his, his death until he returns. Today we openly declare that we are the people who are waiting for Christ to make all things right, but we do so because we are the people who openly declare that we have been made right in relationship with God by the blood of Jesus. And so, Lord King, as we wait for your coming again, may we rejoice that you have come to our hearts and found a receptive place to rule. And may you, by your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ our King comes in final victory. Amen. This morning we're going to have two stations. I would invite you to come up through the center aisles, receive the sacrament and then go back the side aisles to return to your seats. I invite you to stand this morning, and I invite you today, I invite you to the focal point of hope, I invite you to come to the table of the Lord this morning. Let us come. But as you go, I pray that you go in the hope that there is hope, that you'll ready your heart and your life that you lean into preparing the way of the Lord in every part of your life. And may you go and find the focal point of the season in him. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you at 2 p.m.